Hello, everyone. My name is Catherine Gorley, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today for another episode of the Injury Prevention Academy, a podcast brought to you by Dorn Companies, the country's leading wellness-based pain management and injury prevention company. Dorn is committed to reducing costs of healthcare and workers' compensation, as well as uh, reducing lost productivity, which has resulted in over $100 million in savings over the last 20 years for our clients. Joining us today is Kevin Lombardo, CEO of Dorn Companies. <laughs> Kevin hi, is Kevin. a hi, Kevin. Uh, just as an introduction, Kevin is a widely recognized thought leader with substantial experience in workplace safety and injury prevention. Having worked as CEO and a senior executive for many large organizations, along with his significant experience in the healthcare space, Kevin's unique perspective illuminates the critical intersections between talent assets and ideas, the dynamic formula that drives business performance. So welcome, Kevin. Thanks, Catherine. How are you doing today? Not too bad. How are you? I'm good. Really good. It's nice and shiny here in Colorado. So uh, looking forward to a nice long weekend too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I know that especially when uh, workers are getting into a groove of of really they're they're different they're different different job tasks uh, making sure that they're doing things as productively and effectively as possible that's when dorn frequently sees a rise in in strains and sprains mm -hmm. you know you're i know that one of the most common workplace injuries affecting workers today um, are those musculoskeletal disorders or the msds and these usually present present themselves as tendinitis uh, back sprains, carpal tunnel syndrome, and they can actually affect nearly a quarter of the world's population. And it's also the leading cause of worker disability, uh, even early retirement, um, according yeah. to the National Safety Council. So what are some common mistakes that you found you know, companies make mm -hmm. when it comes to assessments of these, of these areas of concern, as well as programs to avoid these ergonomic risks? Sure, sure. No, good question. And and you're right. Muscular skeletal issues are they're increasing. There was a lull during COVID, um, and and you know I think a lot of that came about from either people were just more cautious because they didn't at the time in the beginning of COVID we didn't know if sitting next to somebody I was going to get sick and you know stuff like that. So people I think were more careful, um, and I think that really helped. But what we saw coming into 21 and now 22 is going back to where it wasn't actually slightly higher. So it's definitely on the rise. And I think, you know, when you say mistakes, I don't know if it's mistakes per se, but I think a lot of it might be people aren't doing assessments, right? Um, they may have safety programs, they have training programs, but they're not assessing what they have to see what the results are of what they have. Are they making an impactful uh, behavioral shift, cultural shift, resulting in lower incidence, reduced risk, just in, in, you know overall risk? Because you can't eliminate all the risk. You can minimize it. You can eliminate a lot of it through engineering controls, through administrative controls. But I think the, the biggest mistake I would say is people aren't doing assessments. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you, we've seen, and you know this uh, from your role, we've seen an increase in assessments. Uh, you know, we, we, 
we put programs in place. And so a lot of people that we've talked to recently have said, well, I'm not sure yet if I need that program because I really don't know where all those risks are, right? And so without doing an assessment and really trying to identify where's the highest area of potential ergonomic risk, where's the behavioral risk, where's the environmental risk, you know, that body behavior and environment model that we utilize, developing a program you know, you got to do that first. So I think it's that. And two, they're not marrying that with data. You know, and I think in a lot of cases, people have looked at their workers' comp data, as you know, our, our distribution customer in California, mm -hmm. um, when we first started with them, came in, gave us all their data. We were able to dissect it. We're able to go in and focus our energies where, where those higher risk areas are based on their injury data, their incident data, stuff like that. So we also work with a lot of folks who, or we talk to a lot of folks who don't have access to that data. So if you don't have the data and you don't have the assessments, uh, it, you're running a risk of any program you put in place, not having the outcomes that you desire. And I think the last piece of it is, develop some strategic outcomes. It, you know, at the end of the day, the higher in the organization to go, the more it is, hey, did we reduce incidents? Did we reduce claims? Did we reduce X, Y, and Z? But at the bottom, uh, at, you know, at the where the rubber meets the road, you gotta have some strategic intent. What is that? Is that more engagement from the employees? Is that like we're doing with a company down in Longview, Texas? We want our frontline employees to be more ergonomically aware and be part of those solutions. So what's your strategic intent? Look at the data, do the assessments and come back with a plan. So I think in, in those three areas, it could, it could be flawed in any one of those areas. And so, you know, we really coach potential clients, understand your strategic intents. Let's do the assessments. Let's look at your data. Then we can develop solutions. Right. And I think there's, there, there's sometimes a, a communication um, or or even there's a misunderstanding that these are in place of safety programs. Mm -hmm. A lot of the assessments, I think, are more to enrich a current yes. safety program because so many safety programs, yes, they are incredibly beneficial to the employees. They keep them aware um, in terms of their surroundings. But if you're not understanding where those risks at, truly are yeah. in order to make them, you know, even safer on the job, in, you know, the whole, sure. you know, increased productivity, you, you really should look at assessments as, as a way for that next step. And by the way, you, you raise a good point uh, that once a program's in place, checking in, Look, making sure whatever program you have has the ability to accumulate information data so that you could periodically be a quarterly, semi-annually. You could look to see, did we, did our strategic intent, did, are we meet, moving towards that? And are we making progress in the trainings that we're doing? Are they being implemented? Are they becoming instinctual to how the employees operate? So that, you know, by if you just put in a program and come back at the next budget season and say, oh, what worked last year? Well, I'm not really sure. Then programs tend to die. Programs get weakened uh, when budget cuts come. They're the first things to go because you don't have the, bill the ability to support it. So there's, when you talk about 
issues or mistakes or uh, misplaced uh, things. It should, sometimes it's after the programs. You can do all the upfront work, but after the program starts, if you're not doing those check-ins and periodic reviews of information and then tweaks. And, you know, you know, we're with clients 10, 12 years and somebody will say, well, wait a minute, you know, do you really need to be there that long? I said, well, programs evolve. It's not what we did 10 years ago we're doing today. Yeah, there's probably a little bit of that, but we're evolving. We're looking at different ways to reach people. There's new hires, there's turnover, you know, with the aging workforce and so forth, there's turnover. So you have new hires that have to be brought into the fold, but in reality, you should also be evolving. There's technologies out there. There's so many different things out there that allow an organization to evolve their programming to actually reach more people more cost effectively today than you could even five years ago. Right. Now, now you just said something um, that I know when whenever I'm talking with different companies across the country, um, the issues of that multi-generational workforce, whether uh-huh. it's the it's the you know the, the employees who have been there 20 years or yeah. the employee who has been there for two months, uh, there there are a lot of different learning uh, demands, uh-huh. but also a lot of different learning styles just Absolutely. based on that generation. Um, so. How, how do you feel that companies can implement an ergonomic program that, that really meets the needs of those two sure. sometimes very different groups? Yeah, and sometimes, you know, in a previous life, I wrote an article back in 2011 about four generations working together, and it included the greatest generation, my, my father's generation from World War II. Today, that generation obviously isn't in the workforce anymore, but there's mm-hmm. still three to four generations working together. And they all have different learning methodologies. You know, millennials love to look on their phones and, you know, look for people look for headlines today versus deep dive. Some people still like, you know me, I like a lot of PowerPoints. We all have different ways of learning. And so how an organization has to do that <clears throat> is create their programming that reaches those folks in a way that those people learn right? Mm-hmm. You just don't have a, um, a one size fits all, but it's not a budget buster either because sometimes it could be, we're going to do a training program, but let's videotape it and then allow people to access it on their phones so that they can see the refreshers. If standing there in a group setting isn't the way they learn, but they're still getting exposed to it through the trainer and then later they can go and look at it. And there's, you know, there's apps and there's learning management systems that allow you to see, did Catherine or Kevin engage? How many times did they engage? How long did they engage? And, you know, we're actually building out some of those products, hopefully for next year, that will be able to allow people, you know, so if we go in and do a training and give people the tools, then you could see how people engage going on. On the other side of it, people maybe of a different generation that, you know, are, I would say in today's world, most people, you know, I'm a baby boomer. I'd say most people at the baby boomers, at least 60%. And then as you go down to the millennials, Gen X, Gen Z, it goes up to almost 100%. People do utilize their phones. People do use technology. So it's not like it was maybe five, seven years ago where you had a generation group no, I don't, I don't use my phone. I just make phone calls with it, right? 
I think everybody uses their phones now. So you can do this in a very cost-effective way. So do it if you're doing a training session, videotape it. Create snippets, put it in your, if you got a TV in the break room, put it on loops. If you, you know, put it on your learning management system so people can access it. Put out reminders to remind people of the training. So there's many different ways. I think the, the positive of where we are today, like I said, most people, uh, even baby boomers, are, you know, relatively tech savvy. You know, you still got people who aren't, but maybe they got it during the group training, Right. And then if you create people who are subject matter experts in your organization, if Johnny or Sally, you know, didn't get it and they're not tech savvy, you have people who help them, who mentor them. So you create mentors in the organization as well for those maybe who are tech savvy, who aren't going to log on uh, and didn't get it the first time in the group training. How do you how do you help them with refreshers? Well, you create mentors and you create subject matter experts. So I think in today's world, it's a lot easier than it was probably five, seven years ago. But you still need to create because there's environment, there's people culturally that don't use technology as much as others. And you know, I worked with a lot of Native American tribes and uh, technology today. Most people are using it. But I go back five years ago. A lot of people weren't using technology. So you have to create mentorships. You have to create people who are on the floor reminding Johnny or Sally, hey, remember what we what we learned. Move your feet, move your body, whatever it is. So train the trainer programs are helpful as well. So, you know, there's I think there's multiple ways to get there. And, you know, it's just an organization and you can do it in today's world. The technology is so inexpensive. Apps are so inexpensive that right. it's not a budget buster like it was years ago. I think it's also understanding, you know, because because yes, the the different the different generations that are currently <laughs> in the workforce. And I know baby boomers are mm-hmm. starting to kind of go out yeah, of that yeah. workforce, um, especially. Um, I think the the youngest part of the of the baby boomers are now in their <laughs> early sixties. Yes. So, so that's real. They're they're really starting to go into yes. retirement. Uh, but you also have to look at, I think, say more visual versus auditory learners. Sure. Yes. Every single person from person to person is going to be different in the way that they that they learn. And and like you said, it could be the visual um, and hands on learnings for yep. uh, the different movements. But it could, it could also be something's up on a TV on a Absolutely. loop where they Absolutely. hear something. That will reach different people. It'll be a reminder, but it could, it could also teach someone a lot because Absolutely. they have those different learning styles. So I think having those kind of um, injury prevention programs, those safety programs that can truly be effective for everyone yep. in the workforce, it isn't a one size fits all. No, it's not. But again, the technology is so inexpensive today. It, it really, it, it shouldn't organizations shouldn't be concerned, how am I going to do this? It, because you could still hold that training session, you videotape it, like you said, you put it mm-hmm. up on the TV, and then you even put it into your app system that, you know, because, but and, and people will do it. We find that when you teach people the right way, when they see it, it doesn't matter what age group they are, or, you know, where they are in life, they tend to adopt it. And so whether they're moving their child into college on the weekend or whether they're rehabbing their house, um, they tend to utilize those tools. And if they're being safe and healthy outside of work, 
that just comes right into work. So it's more of a holistic model that we're looking mm -hmm. at. And, and, you know, including even wellness things that safety people in the past maybe didn't look at as much. So when you look at things more holistically and, and that total worker health mindset, it really does have a dynamic change. And, you know, you see it when you work with our clients and the results that we get. It's that holistic mindset that I think people have. Right. And, <clears throat> and understanding where where those injuries are happening um, as a way to, to have those different yeah. learning um, styles in place, uh, those different um, avenues of learning, you know, be it the apps, be it the on-site services, um, that's just going to make it that, that much more effective. No, I know um, the, the World Health Organization um, mm -hmm. just released a major report on occupational risk factors and MSDs have actually increased by as much as 20% Absolutely. over the last like, like five years. And so that, that increase, I think just shows how much maybe people weren't talking about it as much yeah. and, and having those open communication, um, you know, with your employees, mm -hmm. uh, but also making sure that you're having those safety uh, protocols in place so that you can almost stop that rise. No, so, I, I think you're right. And I think, you know, one of the things that um, I've noticed, and this is something that I learned years and years ago, you know, the younger folks who come in, they grew up, you know, I have a stepdaughter, she grew up staring down at her PD, you know, her Game Boy or whatever it is, staring down at the phone. Unfortunately, we now all do that, right? You know, we're mm -hmm. sitting in an airport and we're staring down, typing an email on our phone. But if you've been doing that, if you grew up doing that for eight, 10, 12 years, and then you go into the workforce, it could even be an office job. You're walking in with a pre-existing condition. If your head has been this way versus this way, you're walking in and then with the blue screen and all the light stuff, you know, you're, you're walking in with pre-existing conditions. So you, organizations really need to think about that when they come in so that they're working with those folks. Don't just look at somebody, oh, they're young, they're healthy, they're strong. They can do this job. Yeah, we'll teach them the right way to lift or we'll teach them the right way to do whatever. But they have a pre-existing condition that can be triggered. So understanding that, doing, you know, when they come in, doing some physical capacity testing or other things. You know, we're looking at some technology right now that's camera technology that you know, having people do lunges or do other things. They're standing there. The camera takes the video of them, but it also identifies where those risks are, where they're out of sync. And so we're looking at that technology as a way to do an assessment on somebody, not that they can't do the job, but to understand where that risk is the day they walk in the door. And then you can help them. And so there's, there's just so many really, I'll call it neat things out there that, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think organizations, they don't need to run out and do all of this, but they need to think about that. And so, you know, that's just something that an organization needs to consider. Right. And, and within, a, within that organization, um, in, in each company, I think the, the old, the old kind of way of thinking is that that is really the only 
it's really only the safety department that really yeah. has to, to to worry about stuff like that. But obviously, the last several years has really changed the EHS mm -hmm. arena with safety and then HR frequently working together now to create that safety culture in the workplace. So yeah. where do you see EHS um, and that ongoing partnership evolving over the next now five, oh, six, it's it's, it's evolving. And we're already in the midst of it. First of all, mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm a big proponent of NIOSH's total worker health. It's kind of a core philosophy of ours. And um, I've been fortunately asked to speak at two different uh, events at NIOSH's Total Worker Health Symposium in October. Mm -hmm. So, you know, honored to be asked to do that. And when you think about total worker health, it's really about the total worker and thinking of people, again, more holistically and bringing together HR and safety and benefits and wellness in the same room to think about it. You still can have your individual programs, but what I coach people, and I, I was, I've been doing this for probably five, six years now, I should coach people that don't just bring in Dorn and call it a new program because the reality of it is depending on your organization, depending on your culture, sometimes that works. In other places, it could be seen as the flavor of the month, right? Oh, we have this new program. Now. We have this new company coming in. They're gonna save the world, right? Make it part of your overall themed wellness, safety, employee engagement program. And if, you, and if some of these things are gonna be on apps and in your learning management system, have it as a single portal that you already have where people can log in and it's just another piece to that portal versus it's a whole separate animal over here. So I think that's the evolution. The evolution is bringing together, it's funny, about three years ago, I was meeting with one of our current clients that uh, we just started up again with after COVID. And you know, we said, we're going in for our annual meetings. And don't use that total worker health thing. Okay. Sitting there with benefits, HR, safety, risk management, wellness. Right. And I said, well, I was asked not to use total worker health, but folks, you're practicing it. You're practicing it. Whether you call it that or not, you're practicing it. And that's great to see. So I think not only is that a big uh, evolution that is currently happening, the other one, which I think some organizations were doing it, but I think COVID really lit a spark is wellness and mental health. You know, as you know, I've, I've spoken quite a few times on the impact of mental health on ergonomic risk. I think safety executives, safety managers, safety directors, have to think about the impact of mental health. It's not about giving them to become mental health experts and be diagnostic in their duties, but understand the pressures that we have in this world, whether it was COVID, whether it's political unrest, whether it's racial unrest, whether it's inflation, all the things that we, all these things are sensory overload. They're just sensory overload. And then you add in people's personal things, whether they're working two jobs to feed their family, whether they're going through domestic unrest. You know, there's so many things in life that we don't know. We're not exposed to what happens with, you know, somebody once they leave the environment of work and either are our clients. So I think the important thing is, again, to try to understand that. And there's ways to understand the impact through surveys and other things that can be done to understand is mental health or stress-related issues, work-life balance, all those things, are they impacting my employee? And if they're impacting people in a way that manifests itself 
pain and discomfort, higher stress levels, other things, you got to think beyond the immediate interventions. Honestly, the interventions that we've been doing for 22 years that address those things, but then you got to go beyond that. Some of the things we're doing now, looking at mental health and wellness and finding opportunities to bring education, bring uh, more training to people about awareness and about tools that are out there to help them. So as you know, probably for most of our career at Dorn, we were more of that intervention. We can reduce stress, we can reduce pain, we can reduce, eliminate some of those things. But if people go back into that environment, political unrest, racial unrest, domestic unrest, whatever it is, inflation, mm -hmm. we haven't fixed the problem, right? We, we've solved some of the symptoms positively that have long-term impacts, but we have to help beyond that. And I think that's the evolution that safety needs to be. And again, I, I wouldn't put that all on the safety directors. They need to partner with their um, their wellness people and their uh, HR and their benefits people. We did about a year ago, we did a, uh, a round table discussion virtually with 30 wellness directors. So it wasn't safety people, it was wellness directors. And when we started talking about ergonomic risk, there were a good five or six people who said, you know, this last year, COVID driven, it's the first time I ever sat down with my safety person. We started comparing data and that was kudos, but there were still 25 people on that, uh, that, you know, round table that had, and so hopefully out of that, another three, four, five, six people said, you know, I learned something today. And, and that's what we do. We do a lot of education around that because you, if, if you empower people, through education, engagement, and training, whether it's an employee on how to do the proper body mechanics, or if it's a safety director, how to think about more wellness-oriented mental health issues, you now have expanded their thinking process to a point where they are more holistic and they're thinking in a fashion that says, we got to do more than just train people on doing the proper body mechanics. The, right, you know, and it just has to evolve that way. So that's the evolution. Plus, obviously, technology is part of that evolution as well. Right, and I think understanding the the risks that come from maybe not having those kind of conversations. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, communication is is a huge part of making sure that that safety and those HR initiatives are are getting completed yeah. at the company level. Uh, but the risks that happen if maybe those aren't discussed, can be issues like fatigue. It can be oh, issues like, like people calling in more frequently because it's, sure. it, it, you know, not taking even just micro breaks, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we've seen is a, is a huge part of maybe not having that built up stress. Hydration. And that could be everything. Hydration even, you know. Absolutely, it, it, absolutely. So, so that's a little work in a plant to, Yeah, going to the south and working a plant that's 90 degrees every single right. day. Yeah, there's some fan going on, but you know, the, the, the impact, and you know, we talked to that auto uh, supplier up in mm -hmm. the Michigan area, fatigue was a big issue. Yes. For what they're trying to do with combat. So yeah, I think that's the evolution. Some of these things have kind of been around, but haven't been called mainstream for lack of better terminology. You know, back in 2019, I went to a um, conference up in Seattle on fatigue in the workplace and the impacts of that. Uh, I'd say a good 60% of the people there were academics. Another 20 or 30% were actually consultants. Mm -hmm. And the last piece were actual companies. 
today, I think it's much different. You know, there people are thinking about that impact of fatigue. So whether you have to do a job demands analysis, whether you have to increase micro breaks, whether you bring nutrition into it, whether you bring some wellness apps, whatever the solution, you know, I'm not here to you know espouse any one particular solution because there's so many different environments out there that, but I think people have to recognize that it's an issue. Right. And, and not just the issues that you see on site, but more and more, I mean, ourselves included, we're all yeah. remote. Yeah. So, so how do companies, um, how, how do you feel companies can continue this priority um, as jobs are just increasing, increasingly going just completely sure. remote and that true face-to-face -face communication mm -hmm. is limited? Yeah, it, you know, it, it just depends on the environment again. I think, um, you know, what we try to do is periodically get together and, you know, be in person. I think uh, if I had any suggestion one select suggestion i'd say people should really consider the hybrid model if they're you know where you can get together for more strategic discussions working sessions that go beyond the 45 minute you know type of thing to you know when you are having meetings um virtually you know and i know we don't probably do the best we can on this is try to limit the time frames because people get fatigued on being done zoom all day right so there's that zoom fatigue but I think part of then also the engagement side and, and what I've told people is, I think when safety managers are looking at their programming, you can't forget about the remote workers. So if you have a safety committee, there should be a rep representative or two uh, from the remote workers. They need to be part of the discussion. And even though some of them, a lot of the topics might be related to the plant, the equipment, whatever it is, but the reality of it is those folks are also facing risk, uncertainty, and you know, stress, fatigue, all the things that the employees work in, in the warehouse, the plant, or out in the field if they're service techs, whatever it is, they're facing the same thing. So engage them. Uh, if you have you know, distributed workforces, like people who put in cable, people who do utility work, mm -hmm. those people have been around long before we all went you know, remote. They were all remote or lone workers. Have them engaged in the process so that those programs, because remember, we just talked about how technology has become more and more accessible and it's less expensive to be able to create solutions that then you other people can access. So have those people part of the conversation because if you're creating a fatigue relief type of programming, Yes, it's different for the hybrid worker. It's different than the lone worker who's working on the utility poles than the person in the plant, but you have to think about that. And so having those people engage together, they learn from each other. They keep connectivity with each other, not just at the management level, you know, person to person, uh, you know, and that safety committee and let them be part of the solution. Let them be part of developing what that looks like, you know, within constraints of budgets and all that good stuff. Right. And, and, and you mentioned uh, earlier that uh, part of those solutions could be the tech solutions, whether, Absolutely. you know, especially for people out in the field, uh, you know, having those apps, having those yep. tech solutions that really keep um, them in communication uh, with, mm -hmm. with their, with their supervisors and management, even if it is just to ask a question, Absolutely. right. You know, Absolutely. Keep, keep, I think really keeping that communication open. Yep. Um, 
and and Dorn has really seen a lot more interest, like you've said, in those tech solutions, uh -huh. uh, but also uh, in in like tech wearables and exoset, you know, uh -huh. exoskeletons. I know yeah. that's that that's always that topic of conversation. So, do you find that there are fields that benefit? more from wearable tech or is it really all fields? Well, I think it's all fields. I mean, Echoskeleton obviously very specifically lends itself to those things where you're trying to remove stress from upper, mostly upper extremities and the back. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you get into sensor type technology, and again, we're looking at, we, we have some that we represent and we're looking at some other stuff actually a little bit later today on it. Um, I think it, it has its place. But like anything else, it helps to drive the data. And honestly, data drives direction. It doesn't always drive the solution. It at least tells you where to go. But I think, um, you know, it's not so much what field, it's how are you going to use it? And what is your need? You know, as you know, you know, we, we had a couple opportunities to talk to some folks about exoskeletons and wearables. And I'll be honest, I spend, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll spend a lot of time, it's a wrong choice of words, but trying to talk people out of it, really challenging their thinking. Are they looking at this because they're enamored with it because they saw it at a conference? Or are they looking at it after they've done the job demands analysis to understand <clears throat> where that relief can come from? And the one person that we had that conversation with decided not to move forward Another one is actually moving forward right now up in Massachusetts. Right. And that's because not only did we have that conversation to understand the real objective, then we did the job demands analysis to understand where the stuff can actually come into play. And in some, some cases, the, the, um, the sensor technology is part of that. But then after that, Echoskeleton actually seemed to be the right solution for them. And now we're in the process of implementing four units right now. And if that goes well, then uh, I think the plant manager, she's talking about doing another five to seven units. So it's really understanding, again, objectives, do the analysis, get the data. Sometimes the, the sensor technology will help you with that data and then define the solutions because, you know, and I've spoken a couple of times on this too. You see a lot of times people put in technology be it echoskeletons, be it uh, wearables with the sensors and so forth. Mm -hmm. They do a pilot. It goes nowhere after the pilot. And there's many, many reasons for that. Either it wasn't managed well. They didn't understand their objectives. Or not the objectives of the utilization of that tool, but what are you really trying to accomplish? And does that tool help mm -hmm. you get there? They didn't communicate it. They, you know, they got management's approval to spend the money on the pilot but they didn't communicate throughout the pilot where things were at, successes, roadblocks, those type of things. And you always have to have, you really do should have an executive operational champion because they're the person who's going to smooth the way, not only to get the pilot money, but then beyond that, to get the investment, if the pilot is successful to move on. And then the last thing that sometimes pilots fail is because that particular testing didn't come out exactly the way you want it sometimes you have to tweak things and retest tweak and retest where people might do it once maybe twice and then they say well this didn't work you know and then then they're mad at their vendor they're mad at you know everybody for or even the EHS person who tried to champion 
is, you know, they're, you know, they're looking at them sideways because, well, you told us, you know, this is going to be the greatest thing in the world. Manage expectations, engage upper management, communicate, evaluate, test, tweak, yeah. test again. Then you probably got a good solution to go forward beyond a pilot. Right. And I think having that communication, like you said, about once that program is complete, then how do you how do you take that data and give it a focus? Yeah. Right. Because because that that's ultimately what's going to benefit your employees. It's going to benefit the company. Yes. If you if, if you don't end with that focus or at least go towards that focus, mm -hmm. then it, it's going to be harder to at the end of the year look at your safety program, like you said, and say what worked and what didn't work. Sure. Uh, because you need to be able to show, hey we did a focus on this particular job occupation. We were seeing yeah. a lot of work comp claims from it after six to nine, yeah. 12, 15 months. Where is that? Where is that occupation now? Yeah. Are we seeing that market difference, you know, mark difference. So if, if we can take that data and give it that focus, sure. I think that's going to enrich a safety program even further. No, and I agree with you. And I think you, you said something very, um, very uh, well is that pilots, people think pilots, oh, three months. Pilots aren't three months. Pilots are just a different word. And we had a client use this word uh, for what they were doing with us. They call it proof of concept. Again, it wasn't three months, it was eight months. And because you have to be able to capture enough information, trends, matching it up against injury data, because, you know, we could start a pilot and over the next three months, maybe there aren't a lot of injuries because whatever reason, it may have nothing to do with what we were doing. You can't say, oh, this thing was successful. Let's go spend a, a boatload of money. Or we start the pilot and two weeks later, somebody has a, you know, a catastrophic injury. Well, that obviously was a waste of money, right? No. It, it, you know, it, it takes time. And so pilots or proof of concepts should not happen in this singular two to three months. And then we're going to figure out if we're going to do something. Some things can. If you're looking at some camera technology and stuff like that, you could probably over three months really get a feel for whether there's real opportunity that it gives. And remember, the camera technology doesn't solve anything. It gives you the data, data drives direction. It gives you the place to go. So again, you then need to do your interventions. So you probably still are in a six month window for even using camera technology. So it just depends on the technology, depends on what you're trying to accomplish. But yeah, I, I think you said it right. It, it, it's six, it's nine, it's 12, it's 15 months, depending on what it is you're really utilizing and, and making sure based on your frequency of injuries beforehand that you're seeing, you know, you, cause it's not just about that. You then have to put in interventions and you have to test those interventions. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a whole process. Right. And I think a lot of, of testing uh, different programs in terms of how to implement them um, can also come through with like preparedness plans um, oh, as part of the injury prevention programs. You know, they, um, I actually heard of, of um, a study where they really just showed that yes, COVID mm -hmm. happened, you know, continues to happen. This is not the, this is not the last. It's not. 
the last it's not you know, the epidemic infectious disease or it's not even if you call it an epidemic and not a pandemic it's it's not and i i think you know it's interesting because when covid came out everybody's covid focus us too and we created a um, preparedness document that the the ebook and we didn't create it on our own we actually had 15 ehs global directors that participated in that process. And then we looked at National Safety Council, we looked at NIOSH, and we put all this together and it's a great preparedness. In fact, I've asked our marketing team to kind of rebrand it for more general preparedness versus COVID preparedness. But you know, there's all those things from the facility to staging how workforces come into work. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if that should stop because quote unquote, COVID isn't in the front pages every day now, you know? Um, so, you know, looking at that ebook, all those themes in there are still relevant. It's just very COVID driven. So we're going to kind of rebrand it to be more general, but I think, you know, that's something that, you know, anybody who wants should, should ask for because it really is a guideline. And again, it wasn't Dorn creating it. We were more of the facilitator uh, we'll say we, we were the publisher of it. This was 15 global directors. Look, so we were looking at things internationally as well as in the U.S. And and the the meaningfulness and the energy that these folks put into this was just phenomenal. So, you know, I think anybody who's interested in it you know, should definitely ask for it because it's not the last. It it really isn't. You know, and uh, you know, fortunately, yeah. There's already like, another one coming through. Yeah, no, unfortunately, monkeypox is probably not going to be as bad, but why wait to see if it's bad? Why not? Because the other thing, too, everybody went, EHS people told us, they went from being almost no focus on the H side, the health side of EHS, to 115%. Well, hopefully, there's still... 15, 20% of their time is focused on that. And, but, you know, big companies have a lot of resources, mid-sized companies and smaller companies don't. So this type of ebook is a good guide for them to develop their programming. And obviously everybody had programs around COVID, but don't relax and just go back to the way it was. You know, as you know, we still wear masks in the field and wear the gloves and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, for the foreseeable future, whether that's three months or a year, who knows? Um, we'll continue that. Fortunate to go almost 30,000 hours of service without infecting a single employee. I mean, you know, we're proud of that. We should be proud of it. Mm-hmm. But it's in that preparation, right? It's in that preparedness. So organizations doesn't mean you have to have everybody wear masks all the time anymore. But look at how you work, how the break room, you know, don't just have everybody go to lunch together at the same time. So it does change how you do your production cycles, but you got to take the time and plan that out. So let's not just go back because maybe demand is way up. Well, we just got to go back and push the widgets out the door, the heck with all those other precautions, because you're just going to be right back there, whether it's through, you know, another variant of COVID or whether it's something different that comes into play because you don't know when it's going to hit. You just don't know. I mean, we were shocked, right? March of 2020, things right. were going strong. Boom. In two weeks, the world stopped. I mean, it, it, it it's out there. And honestly, you know, it, I, I'm not a uh, doom and gloom person, but 
it's now another piece of chemical warfare and cyber warfare that you know people who may need to do you know us harm other you know adversaries around the world well maybe they you know maybe they now have learned something right this, right you know, <laughs> so you got to be prepared for that that i think organizations need to have that preparedness right um i know that as as part of that preparedness, uh, I know a lot of companies right now are really looking at their budget to expand sure. how their EHS, how their wellness programs are benefiting their employees, uh, but also benefiting the company as a whole. Uh, yeah. What would your advice be to to uh, different directors and managers who are really sure. looking at those budgets for next year? Yeah, a couple of things. I think uh, if they already have kind of a you know five-year plan, review it re and revisit it every year. You know, even strategic plans people do, they're now actually more like two to three-year plans because the world changes on us every two to three years these days. Mm -hmm. um, but whether it's three years, five years, doesn't matter. Revisit that. If you don't have a plan, and this is what we talked about earlier, we're starting to see an uptick in assessments where people are saying, I'm not really sure your programs sound great, but I'm not really sure yet because we don't have the assessment that tells us what components are needed, what frequency, what does year two look like? What does year three look like? So we're starting to develop those for folks. And, and so if you got the resources internally, go and do that, do that assessment. Um, if you don't, look at organizations that can do those assessments for you. I think the last piece of it is even if you're at a point where you're not sure, because sometimes people, you know, it, we're almost in tomorrow, we're in September. Some people are already in budget season and they may not have time to do those assessments before their budgets are approved or tweaked or whatever. Put money in there. Have an idea, at least a conceptual idea that says, look, we're going to do an assessment. We think we're going to probably have two or three types of ergonomic related programs. We don't know what they are yet, but here's an idea. And, you know, even if people want to have a conversation with somebody like us that says, look, we're not looking for you to tell us your program. We're looking for you to tell us conceptually what those ideas are and what those could cost. We could help them with that as well so that at least there's money put aside. Don't wait and say, well, my, I have no budget money, but now I have all these injuries and now we're scrambling. Right. right. And, 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 and so be ahead of the curve, be strategic in your thinking, be tactical in your thinking. Again, build the relationships across departments, sit down with the ops people, sit down with the wellness people, think about all these things and kind of bring it together. And if you don't have the time to actually define every specific program between now and whenever budgets are approved, at least identify conceptually where you want to go and put the money aside for that, you know, and, you know, depending on the size of your organization, there's probably some rules of thumb that we can help you with. You know, if you're the size organization, you put 25K in or 50 if you're that size, 100 if you're that size. Mm -hmm. It just depends who you are, where you're at. But if you don't put the money aside, we're going to have conversations like we do all the time. Love the program. It's the right thing. We need it. I don't have a budget for it. So let's talk in six months. Put the money aside now. So that's probably the biggest thing. If, if you have the time, get the assessments done. If you have the people and you've done the assessments, really start laying out those programs. Just right. because they are in your evolution as an organization and you know where, where you are in the year. 
Right. And even now, you know, have that communication with your employees as to where those risks happening, you know, even just to get an idea as to how to evolve that that program for the company as a whole, because having that 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 communication with your employees, they're going to be Uh able to to show where your company can grow. That's absolutely that, that that's ultimately what what you want is to to be investing in the wellness of your employees so that they can just take your company that much further. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Engagement of employees is probably so paramount to any success of any program. So even having, you know, like I talked about, we're going down to Longview, Texas. They're pulling people off the production line to go through an Ergo 101 training, what we call Ergo Aware, to give people ergonomic eyes. They're not all going to be, they're not going to be ergonomists, but they're going to help identify risk. So they're going to help identify what that ergonomic program looks like going forward because they're going to be part of, through that engagement process that we're doing, the education and engagement portion of it, they're going to be able to help the EHS people and the operations people identify what the needs might be. And so the more you can engage with folks, the better. And every a lot of people have safety committees and it, they're good. They do good work. Uh, they're probably, most of them are focused on observational, you know, oil spills and fire exits blocked and that type of stuff, uh, guarding on equipment get them more engaged. So even training those folks on how to have those ergonomic eyes is probably a great thing to do as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Kevin, so much for joining today. No, absolutely. I appreciate it. And I I hope everybody out there has had a great summer and going to have a beautiful fall and, you know, is looking forward to really making sure they create a a healthy and a wellness-based, uh, organization and culture for their employees absolutely no no that's i i I think that's a great note to to end on just to really really have that have that understanding Mm -hmm. with your employees have that understanding with the rest of your company that that you really do need that robust wellness culture within the organization in order to truly affect change Oh, sounds great. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you. And thank you all for joining in to Doran's Injury Prevention Academy. And tune in next time to learn more about the innovative steps and programs taking place in today's world of safety. Mm-hmm.